Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. This is a partial restatement of this message that we did about a month ago. And the reason you're getting an updated version and error-corrected version is because in discussions that I had with people after the message, there was a lack of clarity or full understanding on some key things. I know in one paragraph I had just justification and righteousness and so forth, and people were confused as to what was the difference uh, in, in these items. They were clear. I wrapped it all up in one paragraph. Today you'll see when we get to it that I give a more expanded explanation of that. And I give a more expanded explanation of several things. So we're going to review uh, that lesson so that you can get it. The reason I hand out passouts like this is for you to have them in your hand, to have the scriptures, so you can go back and study these. So I hope you all didn't go back and file these in a circular file and not look at them again. You know what the circular file is? No, that's your trash can. And you should, you should look, and I, because we need to know this, you will benefit greatly from knowing how to apply the word to your life. And that's why I'm spending this time on it. So we're going to go over again, but we're not starting from the beginning. We're going to start, go to page four. And we're going to pick up where we started the discussion of the secret to applying the word to your life. Because that's what it's all about. I mean, you don't come here just to be entertained or to hear some scriptures or find out where the scriptures are in the Bible. You want to know the word and the scriptures so you can apply them to your life. That's what they're for. That's what they were. That's what the word means. That's what Proverbs means when it says that these words are life to those who find them and medicine to all their flesh, meaning health. It says health to all the flesh, but it really means medicine. So the word is life and medicine to your health and to your situation. So, so that's why we are emphasizing this part on how to apply the word to your life. So let's pick up at the bottom of page four where it says the secret to applying the word to your life. Now, I point out that I began the discussion of God's love for us because it's from this overwhelming love that all of his other expressions and benefits flow. And again, as I said, before we continue with that discussion, because I only cover two of them, and there are at least five or six other major, major components of God's gifts here, and we're gonna pick those up afterwards. But I wanted to interrupt and interject this segment on how to apply the word, because it makes no difference how much you learn in terms of the word if you don't apply it to your life and know how to apply it, it's not gonna do you any good. I mean, you could, you could actually, I know people who could recite most of the Bible, just really recite it. But just reciting it means nothing if you're not applying it, if you're not using it, and so forth. So that's not, we, we want you to be what we just said in the prayer, doers of the word and not hearers only. 
Now, Apostle Price has told us many times that after salvation, I'm at the bottom of page four, that the most important thing in the believer's life is faith. Now, let me just interject something. After salvation, it's very important for you to get the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the manifestation of speaking in your prayer language. That is very important because it's your power source. Salvation, Holy Spirit, and faith is the most important thing. Faith is how things operate in God's kingdom. Faith is how you appropriate the things you need from the kingdom of God into this three-dimensional world that we live in, the things that you need. So it's very important that you understand that. Now, at the bottom of the page, I point out that the, uh, it's because God is a God of faith, meaning that the things in his kingdom are appropriated and received by us on earth through faith. Top of page five, the word declares the faithfulness of God. And there's so many scriptures that uh, attest to this in the Bible. But I like Lamentations chapter three, verses 22, 23, which says, verse 22, and you have it right there, through the Lord's mercies, because of the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. 23, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know, someone might sing that in song one of these days. You have sang it before, I think. Great is his faithfulness. Now, when we hear the word faithful, as I point out, we tend to think of the dictionary meaning of faithful, meaning a person who is loyal to somebody or some uh, thing, some ideology, some belief, and so forth, it means to be reliable, to be steadfast, dependable, and to be someone who can be counted on. Now, these are all true and are among the attributes of faithfulness in terms of the faithfulness of God. But as I point out here, I want you to see faithful in its purest sense, which means full of faith. Faithful means full of faith, just as hateful means full of hate, or sorrowful means full of sorrow, and so on. And you can go right down the line. All of those things that in an F-U-L mean that the person is full of, full of, uh, and I almost slipped and gave you another example, but, <laughs> but, but really it's not appropriate in the pulpit. <laughs> and I point out at the bottom, just for your edification, and you'll never find it. There's no such word as, there's no such word in our vocabulary as loveful. Don't you find that strange? meaning you're full of love. It doesn't exist. I don't know why it, it, it didn't happen. Anyway, God is full of faith and it's his desire that we imitate him and be full of faith as well. But it's his kind of faith, the God kind of faith. Now to be full of faith, the God kind of faith, it means that you trust God's word in all, through all, and at all times. In other words, you trust what God's word says about the situation. As I was saying in the healing class this morning, if you've been diagnosed with something, if you have pain, if you have evidence of a physical challenge, that may be what the physical signs are telling you. It may be what the doctor's telling you, but what does God's word tell you? God's word tells us in Isaiah 53 that by his stripes, you are healed. And 1 Peter 2.24 says by his stripes, you are healed. So you're covered both ways. You were healed and you aren't healed. That's God's word. And the question is, whose report are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the doctor's report or God's report? Now, it doesn't mean that you ignore what the doctor says. It doesn't mean that you don't follow the doctor's advice. You know 
that regardless of what the medical arts does in terms of setting healing in motion in terms of facilitating it, God is always a healer. And any good doctor knows this. Only the doctors who get carried away with their uh, knowledge of medicine will make them think that they're the healer and that they're God. Uh, it's like I quoted a, 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 a doctor way back from the 16th century, I think it was. And I think I have his name right. I haven't, I haven't looked at this up in a long time. I think it was Giordano Bruno who said this. And he knew way back then, he says, he was a doctor. He says, I dress the cut. No, I dress the wound. God heals the cut. He knew. And any doctor worth his salt knows it. So no matter what's appearing, the word says you're healed. And you stand on the word. It doesn't mean that you don't follow the directions of a doctor. You do that. It's about to bet he did with her challenge. Anyway, it means that you're trusting God at all times. As Proverbs 3, 5, 6 tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In other words, your own understanding is what you see, what the doctors tell you, and so on. But in six, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Trust in the Lord here means acknowledging him and acknowledging him in all, his, all your ways means to acknowledge his word and what the word says about the situation as I just described and you will be directed to take the right path. Now in verse six of Proverbs three, we're told, and he shall direct your paths, plural. That's because in the course of a lifetime, we take many paths, but he'll be right there with us and direct us in each one of these paths if we acknowledge his word uh, in every situation. So it's a matter of magnifying his word above everything else, above the facts, above the situation, above what you see, as God magnifies his word even above his name. Now, at the top of page six, we're told in Hebrews 11:6, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. This is so important because it establishes again how important faith is. It says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Believers should take special notice of this impossibility to please God without faith. But we know that God is a just God and he would not impose that requirement on you if he did not provide you with the ability to have the quality of faith that you need to seek, find, and know him. So we get that answer in Romans 12, 3. You have it right there at the bottom of the, 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 the first paragraph. In Romans 12, 3, we find that God has dealt to each one, meaning he's given to each one, the measure of faith. So when you are born again, you receive the same measure of faith from God as every other believer, the same as Apostle Price. You actually, in fact, receive the same faith that Jesus had. And let's remember here, and this is important, and I want to stress this over again, that this supernatural faith of God that we all receive it out salvation never leaves us. You may not use it, you may not know it's there, but it is always there and you can always call upon this faith. You always have that measure of faith that was given to you. You don't always hear that, but I think you need to know that. So faith is one of those fruit, part of the fruit of the spirit that, that we are aided in receiving through the Holy Spirit and that's listed in Galatians 5, 22, 23. We're not gonna go there. You can look it up on your own. So in the word, we see the various ways to add uh, strength to our faith. I said in the previous 
paragraph that one way to strengthen your faith is to exercise it. Just as if you want more muscles, you've got to exercise. If you want more strength in the body, you have to exercise. If you want stronger faith, you have to exercise your faith. So in the word, we see various ways to add more strength to our faith. And we begin with the truth stated in Romans 1.17 that says, are you with me there? Because it's right in front of you. It says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by his faith. And I say this is more appropriately personalized in Habakkuk 2.4, which says, but the just shall live by his faith. In other words, you can't live by anybody else's faith. You can't tag on to your husband's faith, your wife's faith, or the minister's faith, or Apostle Price's faith. It's by your faith that uh, you shall live. Now, and this is where I want to explain this a little bit more, because most of this is new from the last time you had this. We want to be clear on who the just are. The just are the believers, that's you and me, who are in Christ due to their personal salvation. And just means being declared righteous by and through Christ Jesus. Now, uh, I added this because this was not clear to a number of people. So I want you to be clear on how we become righteous. In Habakkuk, and this is new that I added, the author uses the Hebrew uh, uh, adjective, sadiq, S-A-D-D-I-Q. It's right there in front of you, meaning righteous. In the King James Version, righteous is rendered as just. And in the American Standard Version, an English, stand, an English Standard Version of the Bible is rendered as righteous. Some translators use the term justified for the same meaning, so this is the thing. Shouldn't be any confusion. Just, justified, and righteous means the same thing. They are interchangeable. So when it says the just shall live by faith, in Abaca, that originally was the righteous shall live by faith. Now, we're going to explore what this righteousness just a little bit more. Going back to Romans at the very last line on the bottom of page six, Going back to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we get a picture from Apostle Paul as to what is meant by righteousness. It's Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul writes this. He says in, in, in verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, for in it, meaning in the gospel of Christ, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes that who believes, I put this in brackets, who believes that Jesus is Lord, the Christ, the Messiah, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. In other words, for everyone who believes. Seven, for it is, for in it, meaning in the gospel, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just to live by faith. So through belief in Jesus, the believer, that's us, becomes the righteousness of God, and thus the righteous shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith, the righteous shall live by faith, the justified shall live by faith. All means the same thing. So don't be confused uh, about that. Now, but what does it mean? I'm sorry, but what does the transformation, what does the transformation of becoming the righteousness of God, how does this take place? First of all, it's a transformation ordained by God. This is part of his redemption package and program. It's ordained by God, but it's executed through the life and death of uh, Jesus. Now let's look at the word or the work of Jesus here in his life and death. Jesus is the one who lived a perfect life 
and total obedience to the word of God and all that he thought, all that he thought, all that he spoke, and all that he did. Total perfection. So Jesus not only died on the cross for our sins, but he also lived a life of perfect righteousness. Now, some theologians refer to this as the active and passive obedience of Christ Jesus. Active obedience reflects the life of Jesus that was sinless perfection, which means that everything he did was perfect. That's active obedience. Passive obedience, in the next paragraph, refers to Jesus' submission to the cross, the crucifixion. He went willingly to the cross and allowed himself to be crucified without resisting. Now, this act of passive obedience is foretold in Isaiah 53, 7, which says this. All this is added, by the way, to what I handed out to you before. Uh, Isaiah 53, 7, you have it right there before you, which says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers and silent. So he opened not his mouth. Thus, the passive obedience of Jesus paid for our sin debt before God, that's going to the cross, while his active obedience, his perfect life, gave us the perfection that God requires. And that's so important. And I hope you will go back and look at this so you'll understand that when, we're, when it said that we are the righteousness of God, we are God's righteousness, we're the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Total and pure perfection. So the perfection of God requires us, requir the, the perfection, the last paragraph, the, the perfection God requires is not any form of human perfection. In other words, no matter how good you are, or how good you think you are, or how much good you do, how much you give to the poor, how much you help the, uh, the sick and the homeless and so forth, you cannot do enough to become the righteousness of God by your own efforts and activities. No amount of human good and human conduct and behavior could come close to God's righteousness. Only the perfect life of Jesus could merit the designation of the righteousness of God. Apostle Paul explains it this way in Romans 3, 21, 22. It's top of page 8. And I'm giving this in the English Standard Version, the ESV of the Bible, because I think it, 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 it puts it more clearly. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. In other words, we receive the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Through your faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is given to you. This is referred to as imputed. I-M-P-U-T-E-D is right there, righteousness. To impute something is to ascribe or assign a quality to someone, to me, by virtue of a similar quality in Margaret, although that's not a good example. That's a joke. Nobody laughed. Margaret is the one who laughed. In other words, to impute something is to take or assign a quality from someone else. In this case, it's God the Father and Jesus and their perfection, and you're assigning it to us sinners. That's what impute means. So, when you believe and place your faith in Jesus, God ascribes or assigns a perfect righteousness of Christ to you. 
so that you become perfect in his sight. In other words, when God sees you, this is important for you to understand this. When God sees you, I'm talking about you right now, he does not see the hopeless, hapless, imperfect, self-condemning uh, person that you think you are. He sees the image of Jesus. He sees righteousness, perfection. So this, if you really understand this and grasp it, he's not, he's not seeing you with your weaknesses and your lacks and needs. He's seeing the perfect image of his son. When he sees us, right now, when he sees us, he's looking at Jesus. I mean, if, if you really believe that, then you could go out of here shouting to the rafters. He sees his own righteousness in us. In other words, it's like looking in the mirror when he sees us. And so, so I wanted to explain this to you because it, the, the people were not clear on this. He is actually seeing Christ. So he is seeing the perfection and righteousness of Christ and not the human image that you have of yourself. Remember 2 Corinthians, I'm at the bottom of the second paragraph, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, which says this, for our sake, he, meaning Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry, for our sake, he, meaning God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus. So, that's what righteousness means, and that's how we become the righteousness of God. And what the righteousness means is that God sees us the same way he sees Jesus. When he looks at us right now, that's what he sees. So, no matter how bad you think you are, how bad you think anything about yourself, God sees the perfection of Jesus when he sees you today. That's very important for you to know that. Scholars of the Old Testament say that the Hebrew word sadiq, and I emphasize sadiq, S-A-D-D-I-Q, because, because if you look up this with an I, because sadiq, S-I-D-D-I-Q, is a Islamic word, but it means something different from sadiq and so forth. Uh, which stands for righteousness, they say it's bound to the idea of judicial standing. Now, let me just say this. Sadiq is used in the Old Testament about 200, over 200 times, about 206 times. So it's used a lot, but it means righteousness. And it talks about your conduct and, and, and living a righteous life and so forth. But it has the idea of judicial standing. Judicial standing is how do you stand before the court and so forth. You either come in the court as a person who has, is accused of something, or you come in as a person who is, has clean hands. In other words, no crime. So in other words, you come in as a accused person or whatever, but your standing is how you stand before the judgment bar. And this is why a lot of people describe righteousness as right standing before God. Because as you come to the throne of grace before God, your standing now is not that of a sinner, but that of a son as his son. When you are appearing before God and you're seeking mercy and grace, which you already have, mercy and grace, he sees you as a son, not as a sinner. That's right standing. You stand before him without any of the baggage that you think you have that belongs to you, but it really doesn't. So you approach God as Abba Father, meaning he's your father. 
Now, another fact that the believers, I'm at the next to the last, at the bottom of page eight, another fact that the believers should know is that while the righteousness, and this is important, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed to us, assigned to us, this is important and you know this, but I'm gonna go over it again for you right now. Our sin is imputed to Jesus. This is the way Jesus paid for our sin debt to God. He had no sin in him, but our sin is imputed to him. So as he suffers on the cross, he is suffering the penalty that our sin deserves. This is what led Apostle Price to say this. In other words, in suffering on the cross, he absorbs our sin that's been imputed to him, assigned to him. And that's how we become sinless and so on. Now, I know you've heard this explained before, but people had such confusion about this. I thought I would go over it and explain it again. So this is what led Apostle Price to say in, Apostle Price, Apostle Paul to say in Galatians 2.20. That's Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20. This is one of my favorite scriptures, by the way. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And that the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, you're there on the cross with Christ and your sins are being crucified and wiped away with Christ. So, I would remember that scripture if I were you. And we can stand and say the same thing that Paul says. So all the foregoing discussion on righteousness by me is to further emphasize the vital role that faith plays in the life of the believer. Faith is so important. Remember Ephesians 2.8, which tells us, for by grace you have been saved, how? Through faith. And it's interesting, by the way, the people who are putting so much emphasis on grace and grace is everything today, it's almost as if they forget that. In other words, you can live, you don't have to worry about anything because you're under grace, so you can go out and sin and, and do everything or shoot somebody and you don't have to worry because you're under grace, you're covered. No, your faith is still important. And not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Grace is a gift of God, faith is a gift of God, salvation is a gift of God. So salvation, God's grace, God's faith, and, and I'm sorry, God's grace and faith in that grace, which is your belief in the grace, these are all gifts of God. Salvation comes through your faith in Christ Jesus. Your righteousness comes through faith in Christ Jesus. So your faith is the foundation to everything. That's why the righteous shall live by his faith. Now, the second part I dealt with, and I want to deal with it a little bit more, is faith and action. As I say here, we now need to look at another component of faith that shows the importance of action by you, the believer, in perfecting your faith. As I pointed out before, just having faith alone really doesn't give you anything. It doesn't give you any power. It doesn't give you anything that you've acquired. Faith has to be matched with action. So let me explain this again. Apostle Price reminds us that the words that just shall live by faith tells us that faith is a lifestyle a way of living every day, all the time, in every circumstance. Apostle Christ also further defines faith as acting on what you believe. Faith is an act, meaning it involves action. I like to say that faith is an action verb. Every mention of faith, in this sense, requires action. 
it's important that we understand this action component of faith because without the action component, your faith is dead. Now we see this expressed in James chapter two, verses 14 and 20. You don't even have to look it up, it's right there. So uh, verse 14 says this, what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? The answer is no. <laughs> faith without works cannot save you. 15, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, 16, and one of you says to them, depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? What does it profit for you to tell them to depart, be warmed and filled, if you don't give them anything to be filled with and to be warmed by? So that it's empty, in other words. 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. 19, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. 20, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Now, at first glance, when you read this, you might think that these scriptures are telling you that unless you do something good, unless you do some good acts, some charitable acts, your faith is worthless. That's not what the scripture means. And one of the best renditions of these scriptures in James, this is the top of page 10, on faith and action is found in the Weymouth New Testament. And you have it right there. Uh, and I put in a little word about Richard Freeman's Weymouth who did this tr translation because you don't always hear his name and his translation of the Bible that often, but it's an excellent translation and it gives you additional meaning just as the Amplified Bible does, the Message Bible and other Bibles. In terms of this scripture, I think it gives the best uh, rendition of this scripture. And you see a little bit of background on Weymouth there. <coughs> we don't have to go over that. <laughs> he was a philologist, which means that he studied literary texts uh, linguistics, and he studied them in their original language and was able to translate the New Testament out of its original Greek into English. He did one of the earliest modern translations of the New Testament called Modern Speech New Testament, known more properly, pop, properly, popularly as the Weymouth New Testament. And this was published in 1903, the year after his death. It is an early and excellent modern rendition of the New Testament from the original Greek text. And this is the way he renders the scriptures that I just read, James 2, 17 to 20. And this is important. 17, so he says, so also faith, if it is unaccompanied by obedience, has no life in it, so long as it stands alone. Faith without obedience to the word, without some action, that corresponds to your faith or that supports your faith is dead. 18, nay, someone will say, you have faith, I have actions. Prove to me your faith from corresponding action and I will prove mine to you by my actions. 19, you believe that God is one and you are quite right. Evil spirits also believe this and shudder. But idle boaster, that's verse 20, are you willing to be taught how it is that faith apart from obedience is worthless? I'm not calling you an idle boaster, but that's what I'm trying to teach you today, is that faith apart from obedience is worthless. Now, 
Faith without works is dead really means that faith without corresponding actions, without corresponding obedience to the word that is believed is dead. Your faith must be matched by actions that correspond to your faith. The word in James 2.19 reminds us that even the demons or evil spirits believe in God, but they don't obey or act according to God's word. Their belief in God is not matched by actions corresponding to this belief. Same with you as a believer. If you say, I believe in God, but don't obey his word, the word that you learn in the Bible, your belief is meaningless. Now, I give this example of Abraham. It's actually given in James of Abraham offering his son Isaac on the altar as an example of faith matched by corresponding action or obedience that we see in James, same James 2, verses 21, 22. And it says, 21, we're reading at the top of 11, was not Abraham our father, our father in faith, justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? See, he was obeying God's command to offer his son as a sacrifice. That's the obedience. So his faith was justified by his willingness to offer his son. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. Now you recall the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 where God told Abraham to take his only son Isaac and offer him up as a sacrifice, which Abraham agreed to do. And as Abraham, you recall the story, was about to kill his son an angel from heaven called out and told Abraham not to harm his son. But at this point, Abraham had been totally obedient to God's word because God had asked him or told him to take his son and sacrifice him. So he did not hesitate. He did it. And of course, his son was saved. But his pure obedience was proven here. As I've said over and over again, God speaks to us in his word in the Bible. This is a word he gives to us today, just like he gave that word directly to Abraham in Genesis. Our faith in God's word has to be matched by corresponding action. That is action corresponding to our faith. As we saw with Abraham, we must be obedient to God's word as Abraham was. Now, by way of example, if you believe you and have faith in the word, say of Philippians 4, 19, which says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his rich glory by Christ Jesus, then you have to match this with some corresponding action. And one would be, as Apostle Price did, sow seed. He became a tither and expecting to receive a harvest and then refrain from worrying about uh, your finances. Sowing in the Bible is a way of reaping what you're seeking. What you sow, you reap. In other words, if you sow apple seeds, you get apples. If you sow a financial seed, then your harvest is going to be financial. That's matching your belief in these scriptures. And so you do this. So if you have a seed, sow that seed. Uh, in terms of your finances, your speech would be something like this. Father, I believe that all my needs are met. And thank you for your assuring words in uh, Philippians 4.19, which says that they'll all be met. Speech is also action. Now, in the event of a health challenge, as I said earlier, if you believe that by his stripes you were in our heal, then your action corresponding to your faith would be coming up in the healing line, as we called for earlier, and get the church to come into agreement with you for your healing. You can also lay hands on yourself wherever you are and confess with your mouth. Thank you, Father, I receive my healing and expect a manifestation. And until the manifestation actually 
appears because the manifestation is your struggling health within trying to come forth into the outer. As I said this morning in the class, illness is really struggling health. It's health trying to break through whatever you've set up that's hemming it in. And what you've set up is what you think about it, what you believe, and what you do. For example, if you believe that your mother, not believe, but you know it, your mother died of cancer, her mother died of cancer, and you're right about the same age as your mother, and you have been diagnosed, you think that, you know, you have to die of cancer. And that's probably what you've been thinking all your life, that if they had it, it's going to come to me. I expect it to happen. Guess what? If you expect it to happen, it's going to happen. It's like what Job said. This is not in the scripture here, but Job says in chapter 3, verse 25, that which I greatly feared has come upon me. If you greatly fear something and you fear it all the time, guess what? It's likely to come upon you. You know, I've had people say, I've always feared that I was going to lose everything. And I had a friend who was very wealthy. Do you know he came very close to losing everything? Because that was his real fear. He thought he was going to lose. And so he did some business actions that corresponded to his belief. And he really lost 90% of his wealth. So if you think it and think it strong enough, it can come to pass. So you can read the rest of it there. Apostle Price explains, I'm in the second paragraph on, on, on page 12, no one can see your faith. They can only see what your faith has produced. That were, that's the outcome of your faith. They can only see your actions that correspond to your faith. And that is why Apostle Price talks about he, how he and Dr. Betty gave their way out of debt and moved into prosperity by sowing. Apostle sows like about 46% of his income today. That's incredible, not 10%. 46% of his income. So they have finances coming to them all the time. You know, I, I live with them. And I see the envelopes that come into them monthly uh, where people are sowing into their life because they have sown so much out there in people's lives, into ministries and so forth. It just comes back and forth. I've been with Apostle on speaking engagements and someone will come up. Yeah, I wish somebody would do that to me. Someone comes up <laughs> and they'll just put, slip their hand in his pocket. And, you know, he continues doing what he's doing, teaching. When he gets back to the room and he looks in there, it's been, it's been sometimes thousands of dollars, checks for huge amounts of money and so forth. Money, what Leroy, uh, uh, says money cometh. When you really believe and you really sow, money will come back to you. And you don't know where it's gonna come from. It may not come from the person that you gave it to because they may not have it, but it will come back. Now, all right, so you can read the rest of that about Apostle Price and Dr. Betty, because Dr. Betty, when she was stricken with cancer, she stood on the healing scriptures in the Bible. And one of the ones that came to her when she lay ill in the hospital was John eleven fourteen. This is next to the last paragraph, where Jesus says, and he's talking about Lazarus there at that point. He's talking to Lazarus' sister when they are saying, you know, that Lazarus lay dying and so forth. And, and, and Jesus says to them, but this is a scripture that came to Dr. Betty. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Dr. Betty stood on that and, and, and so many of the other healing scriptures, and she went on about her life and got back active in the ministry and doing things. She, she took her chemotherapy and so forth, but she did it with a spirit of believing that she would not die, and that's what's so important. 
Uh, and that, by the way, that was the same thing I did when I was hit with cancer. My scripture was, uh, what is it, 117, 18? Uh, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. I stood on that scripture because right around that time, so many prominent people, including a prominent minister of, of our church, had died of, 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 uh, of, of uh, prostate cancer. The whole head of the Church of God in Christ, uh, Bishop Patterson, he died of that. Famous entertainers. All of these people died right around the same time. So that scripture came to me, and that's what I stood on. And so I never really thought I would die. And, and of course, I didn't. How do you know I didn't die? <laughs> I should have opened up that can of worms because looking at the expressions on your faces, I'm thinking, well, you're acting like you're dead up there. <laughs> so Apostle's action in sowing was an expression of his acting on what he believed. His act of sowing is also an example of Apostle's definition of faith, which is faith is acting on what you believe. In Hebrews 13, 7, we're told this. Hebrews 13, 7. I added this to this so you could see this. This was not in the, the one you had before. Uh, Hebrews 13, 7 says this. Remember your leaders who spoke God's message to you. Reflect on the outcome of their lives and imitate their faith. The outcome of their lives was produced by their faith and their actions that corresponded to this faith. An apostle is a good example of this apostle Christ. So we are urged to imitate their faith, not try to imitate them, but imitate their faith. This imitating also includes taking action as they did that corresponded with their faith. Now, on the next page, I reduced it to a formula. I like formulas. And I said F plus CA equals results. Faith plus corresponding action equals result. Faith plus corresponding action. Action that corresponds to your faith leads to an equals result. In the Bible study a, a couple of weeks ago, Cassandra was teaching. Cassandra Lenore was teaching, and she was also using faith in action and talking about it. And she's saying, if you believe that God supplies all your needs and you believe that he's going to supply the job that you now need and are seeking, then what's your corresponding action? You get out of your bed, off your butt, and go out, check the classifieds for jobs or wherever you, class, you check for jobs today, and you go out on interviews. That's your corresponding action. In other words, the job is out there for you. You just have to go to the place where it is. may not be in the first place you go or the second, but it's going to be in one of those places. But guess what? God is not going to pick you up and take you to XYZ Enterprises. You have to go there and do it. But you go there expecting to receive a favorable review of yourself. And that you hope that they really don't check your resume. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But you have to act on it. In other words, I have faith that God's going to meet this need for me. Because he says, I'm, I'm going to supply all your needs. But you have to do the corresponding action. Go interview for that job. Find out where the jobs are and so on. And one will be the one that's suitable to you. And guess what? If you're operating under the umbrella of faith and of God's guidance, he'll make sure you get the right, the best one out of all of them. So, important. so the next formula is the opposite. Faith without that kind of action equals zero. Now, this next paragraph, and you need to read along with me to yourself, 
Again, faith is the most important thing for the believer after salvation, but you have to understand that faith is not a standalone spiritual power that will get you anything by itself, as I've said before. So we can actually create another equation to convey the same fact, and that's W plus O equals S. The word plus obedience leads to and equals success. In other words, if you obey the word, if you obey God's word, as Abraham did, uh, it'll lead to success. Uh, the Weymouth rendition of James 2.17 puts it this way. So also faith, if it is unaccompanied by obedience, has no life in it. So long as it stands alone, faith hanging out there by itself with no action. You know, as you're sitting there waiting for something to turn up instead of going out on interviews, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Now, occasionally you might get a referral where your brother-in-law might come and say, well, I know of a job opening and so on. But you still have to go to that, too. So, so you have to get up and go. So in the story of Abraham, we see this in Genesis that his uh, actions were, were met with, his uh, faith was met with corresponding, uh, corresponding actions. And this is a result of the success that he had. Let me just go over it quickly again. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time. Remember, he called to the first time, don't harm his son. Called to him a second time out of heaven. He said, and it said, by myself I have sworn, this is God speaking, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only, your only son, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you, multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand in which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of your enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed our God. Our blessings derive from this right here. Remember, we receive the blessings of Abraham, and, we, and those blessings flow from Abraham. And by the way, those are material blessings that we get from Abraham. So we're supposed to end up like Abraham. So how does Abraham end up? Uh, God blessed Abraham in every way. Look at, the, and I included this. I didn't have this in last time. Genesis 24, 1. So you, you really get a fuller picture. Genesis 24, 1 says, Now Abraham was old and well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in how, how many things? In other words, he was across the board blessed in all things. And that should be us. <coughs> so God's voice for us is his word in the Bible. And he stands ready to bless us when we are obedient to that word. Now, let me point this, this last point out, and then we will, are those seconds I have or minutes? Let's, let's take them to, let's, let's change them to minutes. <laughs> now, the third formula, word plus obedience equals success, is a good reminder, and this is something good for you to know, that faith and the word are interchangeable. Where you find faith, you can usually put word there and you'll get the same results. In other words, faith and word are the same. Now, a good example of this, and I'll, I'll end with this example that we get from, from uh, Apostle Paul again, when he's discussing the whole armor of God in Ephesians 6. He says this in Ephesians 6, 16. Paul says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Paul could have stated it this way, taking the shield of faith, which is the word of God, 
Just as he says in Ephesians 6.17, the very next verse, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. What you need to understand here is that the shield of faith is the shield of the word. In verse 16, the word is a defensive weapon in the shield. And in verse 17, the word is an offensive weapon in the sword. Do you see that? you follow that? Yeah. Okay. So all the actions we hear regarding faith and the word, such as be doers of the word and not hearers only, the just shall live by faith, walk by faith and not by sight. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is impossible to please God without faith. Faith is acting on what you believe and living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God can be summed up in the three phrase that I introduced last week, act as if. But I think in all fairness, I should stop today and we'll pick this up uh, next week and, and continue this. But you already have the whole thing. Now, next week, we're going to go into a whole other thing. But you should, you should really bring this back again. And we're going to go over pages, the last four pages of this and so forth. So with that, every head bowed, I'm going to pray. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.